General Manager's office. Uh, Beasley, draw the contract. The only thing that stands between us as a pennant is if this guy's battery goes dead or he rushes in the rain. <laughs> Never mind what I mean. You draw the contract. Then, uh, come on down here. I want you to shake hands with your new ace pitcher. We're gonna go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And we hope that you guys enjoyed the last episode just as much as we did, uh, talking about the after hours with Tom from the Film Film for Thought podcast. Thanks again to him coming on. We had a really animated discussion about some stiff people. Yeah, uh, it was a great time. Like you said, thanks again, uh, Tom, for coming on and getting a lot of positive feedback about that episode. So I, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Um, so uh, from such a high, we're going to come to a mid. I don't want to say a low, but we're going to go to a mid. Mm. Um, uh, mm. I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so this is a season one, episode 35, The Mighty Casey, uh, air date June 17th, 1960. Uh, number one song is still Kathy's Clown by the Everly Brothers. Uh, number one film, Pollyanna. Uh, we talked last week about how uh, she was a Haley Mills, got the really small Oscar, which I still think is funny. Um, just like I will mention that next week's episode, the air date doesn't follow um, like the next week. It follows two weeks later. And that makes me mad because the number one film next week in uh, the 60s would be Psycho, but not during the week of the episode that we'll be talking about. So Psycho will pop up, but it's not part of our show. Um, And Psycho is going to play over the summer while the episodes aren't running. So that's that. Not that that really changes what we're talking about here, but it's like that's like an iconic movie, and we don't get the chance to 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 enjoy it from when you know when it actually was running. Yeah, and we've talked about it so much over the course of the season, just with so many actors being in that film, and we don't even get to mention it. That's that's unfair. Yeah. Um, so I just like, I just wanted to mention that just, 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 um, by happenstance, um, let's see here. Did I have, I thought I looked up something for the day and date and you know what? I did not. I, I failed. Wow. That is, uh, well, I, yeah, I actually have two things. Okay, great. Thank you for saving me. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Uh, this one is baseball related. So, you know, I know what I'm talking about when I say this. Um, Boston Red Sox player hit his, uh, Ted Williams hit his 500th home run in a game at Cleveland here in Cleveland off of Indians pitcher Win Hawkins. Oh wow, that, that, yeah, that, so, is, that is nice. That is nice baseball related. Yeah, he was only the fourth person person to ever do that after uh, Babe Ruth and a few other names that I did not write down. So, so the <laughs> figured baseball and Cleveland related. Uh, important or not, I had to say it. 
Uh, Ted Williams, just I want to mention this, like he was he was kind of a badass. Like uh, he was the last professional baseball player to hit 400 for a season. And so the and he did it a couple times. And I just for whatever reason, I know this, the the last season that he was hitting for 400, he was going into the last game. Uh, he needed like a couple hits to get to that that average. And then he got it. And then he still had like a couple at bats to go just the way baseball goes. And any, mm-hmm. any, everybody there is like, are you going to just sit down and then, you know, don't worry about it because if you're actually out of the game, then those, then you don't have to hit anymore and ruin your chance at 400. He's like, nope, I want to keep going. Knowing that he could risk the chance of being under 400 for the season <laughs> and he went ahead and did it anyway and stayed above 400. Like that's like, that just shows you like, you know, the record's important, but he's like, I want to go play baseball. Yeah, it's pretty badass. I thought right. that was kind of cool. And, and his head's frozen yeah. somewhere too. So that's also, you know, that's kind of badass. What? Yeah, Ted Williams' head's frozen somewhere. Him and Walt Disney. Huh. All right. See, <laughs> that's I, more interesting than anything we'll talk about on this episode. <laughs> I don't know. There's some there's some interesting stuff surrounding this episode that I found out. Like, I mean, yeah. there's the yeah, big one, but then there there's yeah. yeah, there's some other weird stuff too. Um, it's so, no frozen head though. <laughs> it's true. Not many things would be. Um, so right, you, you, then the only other thing I had was, uh, actor Thomas Hayden church was born, uh, on June 17th, 1960. Oh, uh, famously known as Lowell from wings and the Sandman and the amazing Spider-Man three. Sorry, no Spider-Man three. So he was the sad Sandman. Um, yeah, I, I love Thomas Hayden church. Yeah. I, I, I'd point people towards, uh, killer Joe. If you haven't seen that, that is a uh, William Friedkin film that came out in 2011. It's really great, and he puts on probably my favorite performance of his career in that. So check that movie out. So you gave like a serious recommendation. I'm like, he was Sandman. That just tells you like where we're at. <laughs> Wasn't he in like Monkey Bone and stuff too? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, so. I, yeah, I mean, he was also in Sideways, which I know that got a lot of acclaim with him and Paul Giamatti. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's um, right. Yeah, he and he's in that current um what the the HBO series with Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, it's uh, there are a couple divorcing, but it's like a comedy, and I guess it's supposed to be really no. like they're supposed to be really good in it. So I don't know yeah, why I, I've actually heard uh, uh, Joe on Film for Thoughts been talking about that TV show quite a bit. Well, there you go. That's so, all I've actually heard about it. All, all <laughs> the all the Thomas Hayden Church love there, right? So. Um, thank you for saving my ass on the history. Cause I had nothing this time. I don't know. I like, I usually really good about that. And I'm just like looking through my notes. I'm like, Oh, well nothing happened that day, but I was wrong. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right. So, uh, we'll jump into cast and crew here or crew and cast, how we do it. This episode is kind of strange, but, uh, we'll discuss that when we get to it. Uh, the episode that we watched is directed by Robert Parrish who we've talked about, he directed One for the Angels and A Stop at Willoughby, and this was his last Twilight Zone that he did. So if you want to hear us talk about Robert Parrish, go back to One for the Angels. Uh, And the episode was written by Rod Serling. Go figure. (laughs) Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, Robert Parrish directed the one that we saw because there's actually split directing on this. Um, uh, Alvin Ganser directed... there's like one or two of his scenes in the in the cut that we saw just because of the, of the nature of what happened. Um, so, uh-huh. um, and I know you made the comment last week. You're like, oh, two directors, that's a good sign. I did not realize how bad of a sign it was to find out what yeah, happened with the production. I just yeah. figured maybe the initial cut of it was so bad somebody had to come in and like do reshoots or something. Uh, yeah, this was way worse than I could have imagined. Yeah. 
So, um, so yeah, did you want to get into the crew and then, uh, uh, or sorry, the cast and then kind of, we'll talk about the elephant in the room there, or do we want to save that for a little later? Uh, why don't we just go into it now since we're talking about the director Okay. here? Um, you probably have a little bit more information, but I'll get us started on it. So this episode was originally supposed to star Paul Douglas, who is a pretty well-known actor back in the, uh, back in the forties and fifties. Uh, he was a notorious drunk and so Rod Serling did not want to hire him. And the entire time he started seeing dailies and the episode was originally going to be directed by Alvin Ganser, which it was, and it was totally finished who directed what you need, the hitchhiker and nightmare as a child. Um, as Serling started seeing the dailies, he was like, yeah, uh, Paul Douglas is drunk. So he he kept they kept telling him no he's not drunk he stopped drinking he's he's fine, and so what ended up happening was that they were seeing early signs of heart failure uh, through Paul Douglas uh, with his performance, and uh, two days after they had wrapped up shooting the show he ended up dying yeah. of heart failure. <laughs> they said that even so, on a black and white film you could see how like uh just how like how they say it like his face was like bright red and pale at the same time and how even in black and white film it didn't look right you know so it was like there was something not adding up while they were shooting it yeah um so cbs still wanted to air the show apparently with <laughs> paul douglas who had just died and you know looking terrible on screen and Serling said, no, he's he's not going to do it. And I, I don't know if it was a rumor or if it was actually documented that Rod Serling put up about 30 grand to reshoot the episode. Uh, that is true. Um, so it was uh, let's see here. He They put up about twenty some thousand dollars of, of uh, Kyogre Productions own money to go and reshoot it because you're right cbs said it's fine the way it is and, and there was actually kind of a, a tone of well everyone knows paul douglas from uh, angels in the outfield so because this yeah. kind of ended this way people are going to want to watch the episode which is kind of a real screwed up kind of idea you know and and also this was originally slated to be shown around the holidays so all of this was added mm-hmm. like it was just wrong so uh, when Sterling was like, listen, this footage is unusable. We need to reshoot it. And CBS is like, no, they, they, they did go use their own money. And a lot of people point to this being like the first big uh, crack in the armor of the relationship between CBS and Sterling over budgetary issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of messed up, but you got to give credit to Serling for really putting his foot down and saying, no, we're not airing this. And uh, this episode, I'm going to come out and say it kind of suffers because of uh, it being reshot very quickly and having a bunch of people come in. Uh, it's it's definitely not the only major problem with the episode, but... Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know how strong it would have just... been. Yeah, I don't know how strong it would have been anyway had they had it been shot normally with, with a healthy lead. You know? Like, I just... You wonder. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. It's not the only major problem, but you can tell it was rushed. Um it, there were moments that felt like they were just padding out time and everything. And it got to give credit to Serling for just being like, no, we're not using that one. We're just going to redo it and just, whatever. We're putting it out there. So just to um, give you a point of reference, uh, the, the total cost at the reshoots at the time was $68,025 and four cents. I don't know why the four cents is important. 
um, if you adjust it for inflation, that's over half a million dollars today to shoot this episode and reshoot it. Um, that to me is I, like, that's ridiculous. I could shoot this episode for free in my backyard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's a crazy amount of money for this episode. Uh, Oh man! Well, it's, they it's, could it's have about taken twenty some of that more. Money and put it into the effects in uh, Mirror Image, right? Right. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. Um. It, it was a, it was about twenty thousand more than your regular episode, which you know we talked about how uh, something like I shot an arrow into the air cost more than the chaser, which is like I still can't understand what happened there. Um. But for this one, like. It, <laughs> I'm 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 not going to be forgiving of the episode because it's it's not going to be one of my favorites. I don't think I'll ever go back to it. But considering what it could have been, like at least it it doesn't embarrass itself as bad as I feel like uh like Mr. Beavis, you know? Like I feel like this one was more of like let's just get something usable out there. It, it's it, it's a decent idea for a story. It wasn't like this big labor of love that got turned into an episode that was like a you know a backdoor pilot. Um, I feel, well, yeah. sort of. Uh, I found out that this this episode was loosely bla- based on a teleplay that Rod Serling sold to Kraft Television Theater earlier in the fifties called "Old MacDonald Had a Curve." <laughs> Which was a baseball theme thing. So he kind of rewrote that and, you know, a spoiler, put a robot in it. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) not just not just a robot, a robot that's that you got to have a robot in there. Um, Old McDonald had a curve. Definitely getting ahead of ourselves here. (laughs) That should have been Old McDonald had a curve and in parentheses put and a slide whistle. That that's the total title of the episode. (laughs) I'm going to disagree with you. I think uh, Mr. Beavis was way better <laughs> all right well folks this is the last episode we're doing because i don't that's ir, ir, was it irreconcilable differences between us we're done no i'm, I'm joking um <laughs> I, I guess i'm just more forgiving of this one finding out like just the tragedy behind it but it, what, we're not even getting to the whole story even though you just kind of stated what it is and there's, there's not much here so um yeah, oh, yeah. well let, let's go through a casting crew that was actually <laughs> yeah, in the sorry. episode that we watched we're, <laughs> oh. we're having one of those episodes here uh, so the main character, Mouth McGarry, is played by Jack Warden, who we saw in The Lonely. Yeah. We talked about him. He's the lead in that episode. Uh, welcome return to uh, for him. Uh, I I thought he did the best he could, given the circumstances in here. He actually had some good moments uh, of comedy. Just some of his reactions to things were actually pretty good. Yeah, a few times. Uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> Uh, Abraham Sofer plays as uh, Dr. Stillman. So this is only Twilight Zone episode. He was kind of a character actor. Well, I shouldn't say kind of. He was a character actor that got put in every Eastern character role you can imagine as like the most questionably stereotypical characters you can you can put on screen. Uh, and that was most of his career. Yeah, and it's like it's weird because like uh, in this one, it's like you like know, just playing like swamis and yeah. genies for like fifty years. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that at least they didn't make a like he he had a bit of an accent in this episode, and that like there was no other comment on that. It was just he was there. He had a, he had a product, and I, I liked that. Like they didn't they didn't ask him to do something like that. Like his other stuff that he's done. 
Yes, yeah, I will agree with that. And there's another example of Twilight Zone being more progressive than a lot of the media back then. Yeah, unless it's a clock uh, on a desk. Yeah, yeah, oh, God. Uh, next up, we have Robert Sorrells, who plays Casey, the, uh, main, I guess, the other main character. Who This was his only Twilight Zone episode, and I just wanted to mention he was in Fletch as well. Yeah, I saw that. And he's not doing much now. Uh, did you see why? No. Did you read further about him? No, I did not. In 2005, he was sentenced to 32 years to life in, uh, in prison for a murder and the attempted murder of another person. So, um, oh. yeah, he's uh, currently in prison now for murder and attempted murder. God, no wonder he was able to put such cold eyes on in his performance in this episode. (laughs) Like he's just a cold blooded murderer. The the second time after like second time watching that after reading this, it's like when he started smiling, I was like, I don't know about that. Um, But I I wrote my notes. Yeah, (laughs) all the murder stuff had like a flashback of every creepy face he made in the episode, just all flashing in front of my eyes like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just, just want to say, I put in my notes like all the murder stuff that I put also in Fletch. I, I wanted to mention you can't forget about the Fletch because of that. So, um, yeah, when I told you that there's a lot of weird stuff about this episode, I, I thought that was uh, kind of bizarre. And then the next thing too, I, I don't know if you're going to mention um, Don Kelly uh, as Monk, who was the catcher. Um, yeah, he he would die less than six years later after this episode. Like it's just. Like, it, not that that's important to this episode, but like all of the, like the tragedy surrounding with the lead character and then the, the lead, like the Casey, you know, this is much later, but there was just a lot of bad things that happened to people that were associated with this episode. Yeah. And I saw a few of the actors, uh, also died from heart failure. So this was, well, it was all that smoking and drinking. It was all, all those calisthenics they were doing on the field. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess that's as far as I'll go. Uh, a lot of character actors, only Twilight Zone episodes, so no need to really go much further into that. I found I found uh, two other things. One, uh, the the baseball sure. commissioner, his name was Rusty Lane. That's I just wanted to say his name because it's an awesome name. Uh, yeah, and uh, the team doctor is played by Jonathan Hole. Yes, and that's who I was going to mention next. <laughs> uh, he was in two episodes of Honey West. Thought that was a nice callback to last week. Uh, with yeah. uh, the, the actress being in that. And then he was also in a TV series called My Living Doll. Um, I looked this up, and it's about... Uh, God. Let's see here. How, how, what's it? I'll just read the description. Uh, Rhoda is an extremely sexy young woman living with a womanizing Air Force shrink named Bob McDonald. What Bob knows and the rest of the real world does not know is that Rhoda's real name is AF709, and she's actually a sophisticated yet naive robot. Bob's job is to uh, keep her identity secret from the world, but also teach her how to be a perfect woman. Like, and this was a series that aired in 1965 for one season. Um, so I thought yeah, one, well, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, well, maybe she found out if uh, Bob McDonald had a curve or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so I just think it's interesting that we are dealing with an episode that spoiler alert involves a robot. And then the team doctor would go on to deal with another robot and the people that produced the show would go on to make small wonder. So it's like, wasn't good enough in the sixties. Let's bring it back to a syndicated piece of shit show in the eighties with the, with the robot. Oh man. So there you go. My living yeah. doll, which you don't want to say living doll. Now that's a different, that's a different thing. So, 
Yeah, um, it's yeah. a very different thing. And it was the times the, have changed. And Rhoda was actually uh, what's her face? So she was, was Catwoman from the 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 Batman series. It was um, oh, okay now Julie Newmar. Uh, Julie yeah. Newmar. That's oh. it. Yeah. So so yeah, there you go. And another thing too. Now, now I kind of want to see it. I just want to mention <laughs> that the the actor that was the lead, the main the main actor, he knew the show was tanking and asked himself to be written out in the last couple episodes of the first season. So like the the season's like twenty five episodes long. He got written out like episode twenty three, and then they it was just kind of like I've never heard of like someone leaving like the show towards the end of the season, be like, you know what, I'm out. And then there's like, well, we have to still shoot stuff. <laughs> That's hysterical. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, yeah. So that does it for cast and crew. Man, there is so much weird stuff in this episode. Again, anything to not talk about this episode. I like the idea that we're gonna go back and have someone re-record this over top of it because we didn't didn't do a good job the first time. Like we had to do a reshoot of the of the episode. You know. So I I swear I'm just tired and I'm not having heart failure. <laughs> That's the last time we heard from Kevin. Little did we know that he was fighting through. Uh, congestive heart failure, but podcasting nonetheless. I hope not. That'd be that'd be a sad way to go. Is the last thing you watched was the Mighty Casey. Yeah. <laughs> and Twister. <laughs> and, All right. Yeah, let's, anyway. let's, All let's right. Let's not take this away. Yeah. What you're looking at is a ghost, once alive but now deceased. Once upon a time, it was a baseball stadium that housed a major league ball club known as the Hoboken Zephyrs. Now it houses nothing but memories and a wind that stirs in the high grass of what was once an outfield. A wind that sometimes bears a faint ghostly resemblance to the roar of a crowd that once sat here. We're back in time now, when the Hoboken Zephyrs were still a part of the National League. And this mausoleum of memories was an honest to Pete stadium. But since this is strictly a story of make-believe, it has to start this way. Once upon a time in Hoboken, New Jersey, it was tryout day. And though he's not yet on the field, you're about to meet a most unusual fella. A left-handed pitcher named Casey. Who will go on to murder and almost murder somebody. Ugh. I forgot again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. So, um, so yeah. I mean, like, the, you could tell Sterling wanted this to be a kind of whimsical intro about being like, this is just a story about a thing that happened. Um, but, yeah, it's a down-on-luck baseball team. Uh, like last place, if there was a team in last place, these guys would be behind those guys from the way you kind of get the feeling. Um, and they can't catch a break and all their players are like out of shape and terrible. Yeah. So I, I kind of like the intro with it going from being an empty stadium to, uh, we flash forward or flash backwards in time and you have the team out on the field and everything. I kind of like that. Um, the, but Serling's narration, though, starts out so strong, and by the end of it, I just feel like he's just rambling on, which is strange because <laughs> usually we come on here and we're like, "Oh, this episode was terrible, but that narration was beautiful." But I, I feel like he overwrote that. Yeah, I agree. Do you get, do you get that feeling? Yeah, because the beginning where it's like this, this place is it's a ghost or whatever. It's like you get the idea of sports glory past or teams that have existed. Heck, you know, we're broadcasting on a Cleveland. It's not like we've never had a team leave suddenly, you know, like we get it, you know? So, um, and so, yeah, it's interesting, but then it goes on to be like, it it goes from that to saying that you're almost setting up like a fairy tale. And it's, 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 and again, the tone shifts and it's weird, which kind of, 
oddly fits this episode because the tone shifts and it's weird. Yeah. So, so we yeah. come in and the uh, the coach mouth uh, McGarry is complaining to the team owner that he needs to get him some new better players. Everybody is terrible. And uh, you get you get to see the team out on the field doing some warm ups and some calisthenics and uh, <laughs> the one dude doing uh, he's doing uh, excuse me, I'm drooling my soda out of my mouth. <laughs> he's doing the uh, oh, what are jumping jacks on the field. That dude was cracking me up every time he came on screen because there's the one guy that was clearly the most out of shape, but he was trying to show the most effort just just to get like on yeah. the, the attention of the coach. Yeah, that guy. And I I like that this time you could be like Babe Ruth and be out of shape and be like the best baseball <laughs> player. You know, it's like as long as you could hit the ball and, and feel decently, you know, you could. I don't, I don't know. You could be smoking on the field and it wouldn't matter. You know, like I, I, there's that, there's that, that hope of me like one day, maybe I could be a professional athlete if these guys can be it. Um, yeah. So finally you get, he gets approached by, uh, Dr. Stillman and he's like, Oh, I got a player for you. His name is, uh, Casey and in walks Casey and he's very stiff, very awkward. Basically he has to be told what to do. And, coach is like all right and so doctor tells him to shake his hand and he squeezes his hand for way too long Wait, and uh are you, are you talking about this I'm, I'm breaking the show format i actually got this sound from from oh. uh, from the handshake uh, oh no, no. I, I just, I just I, <laughs> handshake it, or something else <laughs> casey uh, this is mr mcgarry the manager of the zephyrs no 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 your right hand casey your right hand yeah those weren't pain noises i didn't know what was going on there yeah i don't think he grabbed his hand (laughs) (laughs) and there's a bit where jack uh uh, was where mouth he takes his hand and puts it up top the dugout like the the ceiling of the dugout while he's it's just it's a weird I mean, I get that it's supposed to be like, oh, his hand's getting crushed, but it's like the the way he played it, uh, it just it 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 was. I, I laughed. I couldn't help it. It was like not not laugh because it was comedy because of his hand getting crushed. It's just very inappropriate. This this might be insensitive, but I kind of want to see how uh, unhealthy Paul Douglas would have played that. <laughs> What we don't know is that maybe Casey squeezed his hand too hard to cause problems to begin with. Maybe he was actually on okay health, and then suddenly his his blood pressure got well, screwed Casey up. Casey is a murderer, so yeah. Maybe maybe Paul Douglas was his first one. We just don't know it. Um, yeah. So he he puts him out on the field. He's like, "All right, we'll try him out." And he goes out there and uh, he starts throwing ridiculously good pitches. Uh, we don't get to see any of those good pitches, but we get to hear sound effects each Ugh. time he throws it. Yeah. Ugh. Well, the first he gets hit in the head with the baseball, and you hear like the sound of like a cymbal clank when he gets oh, hit that's with the right. baseball, yeah. Yeah. and that shows like, oh, he just didn't even notice with this ball that hit him in the head. And then when he goes to throw the pitches, like I, I don't mind the sound of the turbo jet when he throws the fastball. It's it's the super slow ball and the curveball that make me mad because it's that slide whistle and it's all you hear it and all you do is see the reactions of the coach and the doctor 
like looking up, looking down, looking left, looking right. It's it's a cartoonish thing, and and I guess it has its place. Not here, but it just it was just when that happened. I'm like, all right, this is the kind of episode we're in for. Yeah, no, this is the worst comedy we've seen yet in Twilight Zone. And we keep running into these episodes, and I keep saying I don't like the comedic episodes in Twilight Zone. And we're still going strong with that statement. (laughs) Some of this stuff was just so dumb. And I think making me mad, that's a good way to put it, because it was the same thing. I was just sitting there like, oh, God. Like, from the moment he got hit in the head and you hear the cymbal crash and then the jet engine slide whistle, it just... Oh, it was it was just not funny. But what about the sight gag of the guy's glove smoking whenever he had the, the he, he was throwing the ball back? Like it just shows you how hard the pitch was thrown. Nothing. You didn't you didn't care for that. I think that's it's an old gag, but I like that the ball was thrown so hard that the guy's mitts smoking. I mean, it's fine. It's better than the slide <laughs> whistle. I mean, I don't know what that's saying. Would but you would it's you prefer slide whistle? Like preferred like hearing like you know like a loud crash and then then all of a sudden see like the pitcher on the ground, but then like a hole shape for like the baseball going through like the backstop. Like, would you prefer that or like you know? Because I mean, clearly you can't show someone throwing so fast that it's ridiculous because you don't have that kind of technology back then. You know, like to to pull off that special effect. So, how would you have liked to shown a series of ridiculous pitches? And, and make it believable. Uh, a hole through the catcher. Is that, <laughs> is that too much for 1960? And then like with the umpire looking through him. I like that. Uh, I yeah, like that that'd a lot. be great. Yeah. A little Peter Jackson there. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, like, uh, and then as you, you see quote unquote, these pitches, the doctor very quickly reveals to mouth like, Oh, by the way, he's a robot. And he's like, what? He's like, yeah, he's a robot. I built him like, uh, he's like, he asked him how old, uh, Casey was. And he's like, what's hard to gauge and all this gobbledygook they're talking about. And you find out that like, and there's, there's a real oh, and quick, it's gobbledygook. Yeah. And there's a real quick bit in there that I don't know if you remembered from the time you watched it and blocked it out of your memory. Um, as the, the, the doctor talked about building a robot before Casey that he a made to, a rope. Yeah. With, yeah. A robot. A robot. Um, no, I love that. Like, again, that word is mispronounced a couple of times in this episode and then pronounced correctly sometimes too. Uh, and it's, it's great because you know, you have the guy, by the way, like Jack Warden should know about robots. You know, I'm just just because of his time on the lonely, he got brought back for another episode about robots. I, I'm I'm questioning that that isn't just a continuation of the lonely, but that's just me. Um, so the doctor mentions that he built a robot before that was an excellent cook, and it was a, like a perfect cook, and he gained 46 pounds before he de- he had to shut it down. Like that just if this guy's so good at building like these perfect robots to do these things, I I just I feel like. He, his talents, he's hes pointing them in really weird directions, right? Like, this one robot can cook everything amazingly. It's such a good cook, I had to turn it off. This guy, I built him to throw, and he throws really well. It's like, it, if you could already build robots that can react to voice command and can actually have all the processes needed to do these things, you're really wasting... real human. Yeah, right? Like... <laughs> I just I feel like you're wasting your talents. That, that's that's all. But but uh, mouth is okay with it. He's like, oh this this I don't care what it is. It can throw. You're on the team. You know, like and, yeah. This this is one of those things. It keeps happening in this episode where people learn that he's a robot and they're like, huh? Okay. 
And it's just like, it, it, you know, I, I've talked on the other podcast about when you're not enjoying a film or you're not enjoying something you're watching. Uh, it's easier to start picking out those little things where you're like, well, this seems unrealistic. That seems unrealistic. You know, it, it, this episode, I was having so little fun watching it that every time there was some sort of interaction or something happened, it was just making me mad and I would second guess it. <laughs> <laughs> The robot thing where everyone's like, oh, okay, that's fine. It's a robot. Yeah. Hold on. You should be a little bit more taken back by that. Yeah. I I, I feel like, I feel like the, the secret, it wasn't even a secret. Like, uh, I mean, we're going to get to this in a second, but it's like the moment the doctor figures it out, he's like, oh, well, I better call the baseball commissioner. It's like, no, you need to lock that door and ask them, how did you like, how do you have a functioning robot and how did you pull it off? You know, like not just like, oh, I better tell the league because the other teams are going to be mad that you have a robot and they don't. It's pretty much the vibe I got. It isn't like, so I, I don't, some of the, some of the, 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 the day-to-day logic in this episode makes no sense to me, you know? Um, and then how they even determine, I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here, how they even determine what, what qualifies as human still confuses me. And we'll get to that in a yeah. second. Um, yeah. So he puts them in the, into the actual game and we see through newspaper clippings that he's throwing perfect games and the team's starting to win and everything. And then one day at a game, he gets beamed in the head. And that's uh, their words, not mine. He gets hit in the head with the ball and he has to be hospitalized, which I don't know why they would hospitalize him because I'm sure he was standing there just fine. <laughs> he just, yeah, right. You know, like they're like, oh, we're going to take you anyway, you know. So they take him to the hospital and um, doctor's like, yeah, he's going to be fine. And he goes and he's like, well, I'm just going to check his heartbeat because apparently he didn't do that yet or anything else. Uh, he checks for his heartbeat. See, this is a little thing. It's just like, how would he have not noticed anything by now? You know, but whatever. I guess we got to see it on screen. Um, it's like, oh, he's perfectly fine. He so, took three pints of oil. I don't know. I just it was. He seems like a good human to me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, he would have never made it uh, even into the league. Now, I, if they would have drug tested him, it would have been just like straight oil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, yeah. So it, he he realizes that he has no heartbeat, and the doctor's like, "Well, what's going on here?" And the doctor just flat out comes out again and is like, "Oh, he's a he's a robot." <laughs> and everything. so, and you, like you said, the doctor turns around. And he's like, "I'm going to tell the league about this." Yeah, so, uh, hold on. This is your first reaction to finding out that there's a uh, perfect human-like sentient robot that can play baseball and have full conversations with people. Your first thought is not how in the world does this exist, but it's I'm going to call the league on you. Yeah, it's it, like it's clearly you guys are cheating. So strange. Yeah, yeah it was again. Weird. I'm I'm looking way too deep into this episode. It's it's supposed to be a lighthearted, fun, fantastic episode, but I just, I things were pissing me off so much. Everything like that was was just coming. I was so much more angry every time something happened. I, I, I can't I, even put my anger into words right now. I'm getting <laughs> flustered I, again. I I hope that you remember this and bottle it up uh, just for retrospective when we get to something like uh, Steel, uh, the maths episode. I think it's like season five, so we got a long way to go. But where you have the robot yeah. boxing, and you have oh, was it was it Lee Marvin that was in that? And yeah, he, yeah, it's yeah like, I think so. And I feel like not that it's not the same episode, 
not anything like that. But still, I feel like a lot of that that um, suspended uh, uh, belief or disbelief because of the world of fighting robots, you let that go because the stakes are different and the world's different. But the idea is just as ridiculous, but, it's, it, but it, it comes across so much better in that episode. Yeah, and, and the robots in that episode uh, – look more like robots yeah you're right like their faces do. are kind of screwed up and you got lee marvin so yeah i'll let anything go if i get to watch lee marvin act <laughs> look at that we're talking about an episode we haven't even seen yet for the series that's a first that's how much we don't want to talk yeah. about the episode we have seen um i i do i want to mention though that uh jack warden did spell the word robot out and he said r-o-b-o-t-t so even though he says it right he's not spelling it right so no one can get this word right for what this thing is um, so they bring the commissioner yeah, I in. I just wonder if that was supposed to be some sort of joke or I something. I hope so. Cause he had, I, a, I really hope so. It didn't play as a joke, but it's, it's gotta be just like that. His character is so dumb or something. I, I don't even know. Yeah. It's very strange. Um, so they bring the baseball commissioner in, which this talk about dumb. This guy sounds like an idiot as yeah. he's talking. He reads from the code, which, you know, spoiler, stay tuned. I might have that dialogue at the very end of the episode. And, um, they determined that to be on a baseball team, you have to be a, a, a male. You have to be a man. You have to be a human being. And, the, so, and so they have the this first page. No robots. Yeah. <laughs> like um, there shall be three bases, one of four bases, one of them called home and then no robots um, and and no minorities for a long, long time. That was the other rule they had. They changed it after a while. Um, so they they determined that what makes someone human is a heart, not not the like. I don't, I just feel like that's a really, that's a really just odd thing to be like, well, he needs a heart. Well, what about other organs? What about functioning systems? You know, like just the fact that he has to have something that circulates fluid and makes a rhythmic noise that makes him human. That was just a really weird decision. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I get that they're setting up the metaphor with the very end, like the big, it's not even, it is a metaphor, but it's also the big yeah. joke, right? So the doctor's like the, his doctor, cause there's two doctors in the room. I guess the, the scientist that made the robot, the robot doctor, uh, robot doctor, he was like, Oh, if you need a heart. I can get you a heart. And you know, he's like, you, you need a toe. I can get you a toe tomorrow. You know? So, um, they, they go to put a, put a heart in Casey, uh, and the, the surgery taking longer than expected. So mouth's giving this big inspirational speech to the guys cause they're taking on the New York giants and they're actually playing a game of significance. And then as tr he's trying to inspire the people, Casey comes in and they do that whole uh, sight gag thing of like, oh, hey, Casey, how's it going? And he goes back to give this speech and they does a double take of like, oh, you've been here like the past five seconds, you know? And so then but Casey's smiling with murder in his eyes and you find <laughs> out because he has a heart, like he's, he's, you know, he's happy and is like basically, you know, he's experiencing things that he's never experienced before. So when he gets put out on the mound, He's just grinning like an idiot, um, and every pitch he throws is a home run. Like, as in, they get murdered. Well, I guess that's not the right word to use. That was not meant to be a joke. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm coming around to this episode now. <laughs> the fact that Casey is a murderer, uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of killing me over here. It's killing you, right? And the, the fact that, um, yeah. that the, the, the oh, robot man. he played is a nicer person than the human he was or is. Kind of, kind of weird. Um, so then you find out that like after uh, they talk after the game, uh, he has compassion 
and uh, he he feels bad for all the people he's facing and doesn't want to ruin their careers. And the, the one thing that is, is funny to me <laughs> is that that he's like, oh, the doctor told me I should probably go to social work. And then he just leaves. I love that idea that yeah. he's like, you know what? I'm going to go help people later. And just, and just walks out of the room. I thought that was actually yeah, funny. Yeah, it was kind of funny. I don't know if it was meant to even be that funny, but it was probably the funniest thing in the actual, the whole episode. Yeah. So then the, the, the robot doctor says, well, hey, I'm sorry this happened. You want the blueprints just for old time's sake, which is I don't understand what that meant. And then as um as, as Mouth's looking at the blueprints, like he understands what what they're what's going on with them, he goes chasing out after uh, the doctor in the field, saying, "Hey, you know, let me talk to you for a second. And you get the idea that he's like, "How about we just build a bunch of these guys, but not give them a heart because I'm an asshole? How about that? That's the ending of the show." And then Sterling implies that there was a team that moved out west that had pictures that never smiled, which I think if I did my research right, he's he's talking specifically about one team out there. Uh, that had some pictures that were no nonsense that did win the pennant a couple years before this episode came out. Uh, I thought he was talking about our current Indians lineup. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, so that's I, it. Yeah. A- Andrew Miller, look at me knowing uh, players' names. He could be a robot. He, he's no kidding, right? Talk about people that like their faces don't move when they're out there throwing. Like, I'm not the biggest baseball person, but watching the World Series, like some of our, our what do you call them, like relief pitchers and closers, like they just had – they just you they they had no emotion you know and i i could never understand the psychology of a closer right because i know me and i wear my emotions so much on my face <laughs> and it's so hard to hide just to know that you have all these cameras pointed at you and millions of people watching and there has to be something ticking in there right there has to be something you know you're not you're not an actual robot i don't think i don't know yeah. how you could do that and not let your you know emotion show yeah Anyway, so, so yeah, <laughs> that, yeah that's, that's your story. That's the whole episode. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I know, I know you, um, that's it. Like, and considering, like I said, uh, what had happened with the behind the scenes, uh, with the, the lead basically dying on camera, this could have been a way worse. It could have been a complete train wreck. I know Kevin's angry about this episode. I'm not going to forgive it because of his production problems because it's not a great episode. And even um, even Steve, uh, who, who's been listening to the show and commenting on our Facebook, uh, Steve King, he, he told me a couple was a couple weeks ago, he's like, I think I'm ahead of you guys and watching these episodes. He's like, The Mighty Casey, I'm not really a fan of that one. And that's all he said about it. And so I was wondering, <laughs> I was wondering what it was, and, and I'm pretty sure we discovered it. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, it, it sounds like no one working on this episode really had much faith in the teleplay. Um, so like you said, I'm not going to forgive it just based on the fact that there was a lot of, uh, tragedy surrounding the episode. Um, but it's it just, it's all around just not that good. So even <laughs> teleplay, so. uh, there's no style to the episode and it sucks because, uh, the director that he brought in, Estapa Willoughby, and one for the Angels, I thought were pretty decent looking episodes, more so Estapa Willoughby. Um, but yeah, there's there just no stylistic flair in this. It, it just was so by the book, just like, we got to get this done. When, when the bulk <laughs> of your story is telling and not showing, 
that that's a problem, you know, and and a lot of it was yeah. with the pitches and then with the, the newspaper headlines, which you could get away with the newspaper headlines in like a movie because you, know, you only have like 90 minutes to get through stuff sometimes. But whenever you're advancing the bulk of your your sports team, like advancing like that quickly, it's cliche now, but a TV show, that's that's a lot of time to jump through, you know, and it, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel earned when this team goes from being last to being in contention and you've never actually seen them play. Yeah. Yeah. And, and nobody really, you, you know, you get the shot of the players kind of being a, not so good warming up out on the field. And that's really all they give you as far as like, this team's not too good. Yeah. And sometimes that's all you need in these episodes. But uh, you know, we've, we talk so much about Serling's so great with giving you just enough, you know, to move the episode along through such a short, uh, runtime. And this one, I just like, it just did not work. Well, even like the big tall wish, you didn't see much boxing, but you bought the bully. You know, you he was a oh, you know, yeah. he, he was a boxer. That, you that was a that. great performance. Yeah, though, you know, uh, well, Casey, he was a robot. So like <laughs> he did what he needed to. He was basically emotionless uh, that, and fair. a murderer. Uh, so, <laughs> I still can't get over that. Um, uh, so he does what he needs to. But how interesting is it to have a character that shows no emotion? you know, the episode surrounding. That's true. And maybe that's where uh, Jack Warden, uh, he, maybe he overcompensated thinking that this is supposed to be lighthearted. Maybe he came in to chew the scenery on purpose because there wasn't much else yeah. there, you know? Yeah. But I don't even think Jack Warden was really that great in this. No, but I mean, he was okay. I, I th- yeah. Again, I think everyone did the best with what they could. I think this is just a teleplay that doesn't work for me. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Paul, you joked before we came on the air, you're like, Oh, this is the perfect Kevin episode. Sports, uh, <laughs> comedy, uh, production problems, yeah. <laughs> comedy in the Twilight Zone. You're gonna love this, right? <laughs> and uh, oh. yeah, oh boy, did I, did I? Ugh. You know, I still, I, I still have a special uh, spot in my heart for uh, Mr. Beavis uh, in terms of this pure, pure uh, frustration. Um, I think once, <laughs> once we get past next week's episode, and if we take a minute or two after we finished talking about that, I think it'd be interesting to kind of go back over these bumps in the road, like the highs and the lows and kind of talk about those things. Cause I feel like, yeah. I feel like some stuff, um, hit us in different ways. And I think that's good. Uh, because I mean, it would be, this would be a silly show if we agreed on everything and just high five the entire time. It'd be fun, but it wouldn't be very much depth. Um, yeah, so, I know I mentioned it last week, just Watching the show in order and not just skipping around to episodes that I like uh, sometimes can have an effect on me, especially going into last week, just coming out of the bad comedy and getting such a incredibly atmospheric, creepy episode. That episode just hit me so much harder than it probably would have if I just randomly turned that on one day. Yeah, because I mean, if you're, if so you're just watching, watch, watching yeah. it in order, just kind of creates a whole new dynamic with watching the show. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think about that way, but I mean, if you just watch the top 10, like, and then, then your, your perspective is skewed, right? Like you're going to think, well, if that was the top 10, then everything had to be great. And then we find, um, the mighty Casey, um, last note I wanted to mention about the episode improper. I forgot to say that, uh, mouth, uh, when he's exasperated that Casey's letting all his home runs go when he's in the locker room, he says to the robot doctor, he's like, he looked like three Bob Fellers. I just wanted to mention that because that's an Indians reference and that's a, a like a that's a that's an oddly specific Indians reference. So I enjoyed that. Um, so so there you go. There, there's there's that's the extent of my baseball knowledge is what we've talked about today. 
So, and I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't I'm, explain I'm to you. I'm just happy I got our current uh, relief pitcher. I'm just happy I got his name right. <laughs> You'd be like that. Um, oh, what was the name of the guy that blew the blew the save against the Braves uh, years ago? Danny Bai, not Danny Baez. No, um, Jose Mesa. There you go. That's the oh. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was when I actually watched baseball. So that. Oh. That lineup of the Indians, I'm actually a little bit more. <laughs> you and the rest uh, of Cleveland knowledgeable about. <laughs> uh, so, and and I feel like, and also this episode should have been more in our wheelhouse, just being uh, longtime suffering uh, sports fans, as at least not maybe not like I know, just being a Cleveland fan. Like you, you can cheer more for the lovable losers. So not that I'm saying that this automatically builds in that you should, you care about these guys, but I feel like this puts us in a place of appreciating like, Hey, look, like I would take a robot and not tell anybody if I, if he could throw lights out. And then like, you know, it's like, I'd rather have like the title. And then like 20 years later, be like, by the way, guys, that was a robot. I'm out. I would do that to to, uh, to yeah, make Cleveland happy. I think all of Cleveland would. I mean, look, LeBron left Cleveland. Everyone was burning jerseys in the street, and he's like, oh, "I'm going to come back." And everyone's like, "Okay, all right, please, please." <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I, mean, I think we if can somebody change. was like, somebody's like, the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl if you guys take this robot and not tell anyone. <laughs> Everyone in Cleveland would be like, uh, "Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine." <laughs> I, I would. Like, it's just like, listen, this is the robot quarterback. I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't hear that. It didn't nope, play. Nope. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So. All right. So yeah. um, enough about the episode improper, because uh, I'm sure we'll get to the twist meter and this will be funny when we get there. But um, just to, to tie into the episode uh, tangentially, as I like to do. Um, so you're, you're going to say, Paul, when has there ever been another time where there's been a robot that has played professionally? And I have an example for you. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with a thing called the Turk. Uh, what is it called? The Turk. It was a no. it was a machine that was made in 1770 that um, had a, a figure and th- this is this is how they described it. So please, it, it's it's history, not me. Uh, it was a figure dressed as an uh, an ottoman with black a black beard, gray eyes, and robes and a turban, the traditional costume of an Oriental sorcerer. So this figure was sitting at a chessboard with a pipe in its one hand, and its other hand would freely move chess pieces on the board, and people could play it. And it had a really good win loss ratio and, and no one knew how it worked. So this thing toured all over the place and it actually faced off against some very famous people and would beat them. And they would actually open the bottom of this cabinet to show the inner workings and no one could figure out like how it actually functioned. And the guy that made it made it in a way that when you would open some doors, some things would slide into place to look like machinery that actually served no purpose, but it looked like functioning <laughs> machinery. Um, but in the meantime, there was actually someone inside that could slide amongst the compartments and not be seen. And they would operate um, the Turk from the inside and play chess against people. <laughs> That's pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and the, so this thing actually had a lifespan of a couple hundred years. So it was made in 1770. It, um, where was it? Uh, it, uh, it, it played against Napoleon. There's a couple of debated rumors about what happened there because supposedly if you made an improper move, uh, the Turk would pick up your piece and put it back where it was, and then you'd forfeit your move. Uh, the, the rumor is, is that Napoleon, looking at this thing, kind of sized it up and kept making improper moves, and the thing supposedly got pissed and, and took its arm and swept the board and ended the game. And it was kind of his <laughs> signal that he knew that uh, you wouldn't make a machine mad. So like, it's just kind of give credit to him 
like kind of sizing it up being like if I if I apply you know illogic to a machine it has to be doing the same thing over and over again but it, it actually gave an emotional response um, so hmm. uh, and then also Edgar Allan Poe witnessed this in 1836 and wrote an essay about it because uh, the person who owned it at the time his name was uh, Malazel and there's an essay called Malazel's chess player and so Poe kind of theorized how he thought it operated and he wasn't right but he wasn't far off so a lot of famous sure. people, Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin played against it. Like this thing was kind of like a, kind of a celebrity. Uh, and it eventually, it, it, it eventually ended up getting destroyed in 1854 in a fire, but the actual chessboard on top was, was intact because it was stored separately. And someone in the 1980s supposedly rebuilt it to the best of their knowledge with, with that board on top. So in a way the Turk lives. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say the only robot I've ever played against was at the batting cage <laughs> and those things were not the most solid pitchers. No, no, I, I'm still terrible at the, the batting cages, but yeah, it's the, the Turk I'd heard about it a long time ago. Cause I played chess in high school cause I was a cool kid as in like, you know, that's what all the cool kids play chess. Right. Uh, and I had heard about this thing and I looked it up and it realized that its history was a lot more complicated than I thought it was. So there you go. It was a robot, but not really, but people thought it was. And there's people that really thought it was run by like dark magic and would not want to be in the same room with it. So I thought that was fine. <laughs> but, but at the same time, oh, yeah. If, 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 yeah, if you never if seen, you look it up yeah. online, you can, you can see a diagram of how it was kind of built and how the guy would sit underneath it. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's weird. Oh, there's the rebuilt one. Huh? Yeah, right. It kind of looks like the Zoltar machine from Big a little bit, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of. Good question. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting because this was well before uh, AI was ever around to actually, you know, function against another player. Which I know the big thing uh, a couple years ago was Deep Blue, that IBM machine that was actually taking on uh, grandmasters in chess and actually winning. You know, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we actually have physical evidence of a robot, even though it wasn't. It's, it looked like one you know, beating people. So I thought that was, uh, oddly tied to this episode. So there you go. Yeah. The Turk, um, I'll, I'll link the, the, the Wikipedia article on the page later so people can check it out. But enough about that. Let's just, let's just get to the twist and then put a cap on this episode. I'm giving it a two, uh, even though the whole change of heart for the robot I saw coming from a mile away, I didn't see that the robot would actually feel bad for the other players. I thought he would actually know fear and then not be able to pitch well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it a one. <laughs> and, uh, I just, I can't out of. You can give it a zero. It's uh, fine. If you want to, if you want to be. No, like, I'm uh, not going to give it a zero because I didn't see him not being able to throw strikes because he felt bad for the, for the batter. I didn't see it coming. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I like the twist. <laughs> so when the twist came, so, did you hear like a slide whistle? And did you look up and down and left and right at your TV and then follow the twist? You know, did we see your reaction to the twist? Like, yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it was it, it more so rather than a slide whistle just came out as a sigh. But <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. They all can't be winners, right? Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, they, they all can't be the Hoboken Zephyrs, right? So... All right. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, uh, before we get to next week's episode, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can email us at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to leave us voicemails about our episodes, any episodes of the Twilight Zone, uh, what you think of the show, feedback, anything in general, send us emails, voicemails there. Uh, 
follow us on Facebook, Strange Highways, and you can join in the conversation on there. And please, if you haven't yet, uh, Paul just posted a uh, sort of a little poll on Facebook. Just we're trying to figure out we want to do a little bit something, uh, something a little bit different after finishing this uh, first season. So we're looking into doing an episode, maybe Black Mirror or, or a movie that's sort of tied into what we've been talking about, maybe a Rod Serling movie. Um, so we're just looking for some suggestions suggestions on there. Now I can't speak. Um, so, yeah, definitely go find that post on there and let us know what you want to see us cover before we jump into season two. And then if you would subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher and Google Play Music and rate and review us on there, it would really help us out. Absolutely. So next episode, which is the season finale. Surprise, surprise. Only 36 episodes in the season. Very few number. Uh is the episode A World of His Own, which I don't know if Kevin has seen this episode before. I have seen it previously. It is one of my favorite endings to an episode, and that's that's all I'll say about it for right now. It feels like a very... Uh, it, it looks sort of familiar. It is a Matheson episode, so that's something to look forward to. Yeah, uh, and the ending, is it just feels like a really good ending to the season, too. So that's, um, that's me overhyping it. So uh, that's it. So, uh, so next week, uh, season finale for season one of Twilight Zone and strange highways so this has been fun even talking about this goddamn episode has been fun i feel like i feel like you can almost feel um how the i don't know it feels like the 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 budget or the 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 seams are starting to show as the season went on a little bit where it's like oh we got to put something out and so we've been kind of hitting hitting and missing like these episodes as of late it feels like i maybe it's just me maybe it's just because we've had a couple really bad ones and then some really good ones but the the pay, the the um, the overall feel has been very erratic these last couple. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to see what this uh, final episode is. Yeah, I, no, I I definitely agree with you. It's been it's it's either been like the most incredible thing I've ever seen or the worst thing I've ever seen <laughs> in the past couple of weeks. So. <laughs> Uh, it's it, mentally exhausting, right? So okay. <laughs> never know what I'm getting myself into. Um, but it, I will say uh, the fact that uh, Robert Sorrells was a murderer saved this episode for me. So thank you. <laughs> this would have been really painful for me to talk about this episode without that little. Uh, but, but not painful <laughs> for the person he knowledge. murdered and the person he almost murdered. That That's not that painful. But the fact. <laughs> I love no, it. Like love seriously, it. when you said he uh, murdered someone, every shot of his face in this episode flashed before my eyes, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like, so yeah, that was the face somebody saw before they died. Do, oh, do you? Do you? In that terrifying. case, do you hope for the smile or not the smile? Like, dude, like if, if the last thing you see is, do you just want him looking straight ahead, or do you want that like that really? E- <laughs> Either way, man. That. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, All right. Terrifying. <laughs> All right. That, that's going to do it for us uh, this week. On, on that wonderful, happy note, we'll see you next week for a world of his own. See you guys. Article 6, Section 2, the Baseball Code. I quote, a team shall consist of nine men, 
End of quote. Men, understand? Not robots. He's suspended. That's my final decision. A robot 